Chapter 13 of In the Reign of Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ryan Cherick. In the Reign of Terror by George Alfred Henty. Chapter 13. In the Hands of the Reds. The next morning, Harry went out, as usual, immediately after breakfast for a walk for two or three hours. This he did partly to allow the girls to tidy the rooms, an office which had naturally fallen to them since the commencement of their nurse's illness, partly because, in active exercise, he found some relief from the burden of his anxieties. Today he felt more anxious than ever. The conversation with Marth Pitchin had afforded good grounds of hope that, in a day or two, a fair prospect of escape would be open to them. But this only seemed to make the present anxiety all the sharper. The woman had promised to get disguises and make the arrangements for their friends at the village below during the course of the day, and by night, if all went well, they might start. He told himself that he had no reason for supposing that the vague suspicions which were, he knew, afloat would suddenly be converted into action. He determined to take his place that afternoon with the committee as usual and endeavor to allay their doubts by assuming a violent attitude. He felt, however, that the day would be more trying than any he has passed, and that he would give a great deal if the next twenty-four hours was over. Scarcely heeding where he walked no longer than usual, and it was nearly three hours after he started before he approached the town again by the road along the river bank, just when he came to the first houses, a woman who was standing there knitting came up to him. "'You are the citizen who lives with the two sisters next door,' To Le Marie Pichon, are you not? Harry assented hurriedly with a strange presentment of evil. La Mire Pichon bids me tell you, the woman said, that half an hour after you started this morning, six men with an official with a red scarf came to the house and arrested your sisters and carried them off. They are watching wait there for your return. Harry staggered as if struck by a blow. Poor young man, the woman said compassionately, seeing the ghastly pallor of his face. But I pity you. The street is furious that these wretches should have carried off that sweet young creature who was so good to everyone. But what could we do? We hissed the men, and we would have pelted them had we not been afraid of striking your sisters. When they had gone to La Marie Pichon, said to us, The best thing we could do for that angel is to save her brother from being caught also. So do one of you post yourself on each road, leading to the house, and warn him in time. He generally walks beyond the town. I heard one of his sisters say so. So some of us came out of the roads, and two remained, one at each of the street, in case we should miss you. La Marie said, Whoever met you was to tell you to be on this road, by the river, just outside the town, after dark, and she would bring you some clothes and take you where you would be safe. But till then you were to go away again, and keep far from the town. Do you understand? she asked laying her hand on his arm, for he seemed dazed and stupid with the shock he had received. I, I understand, he said in a low voice. Thank you all for your warning. Yes, I will be here in the evening. So saying, he turned and moved away, walking unsteadily as if he were drunk. The woman looked after him pityingly, and then, shaking her head and muttering executions about the reds, she made her way home to tell Marie Pichon that she had fulfilled her mission. Harry walked on slowly until some distance from the town, and then threw himself down on a bank by the road, and lay for a time silent and despairing. At last, tears came to his relief. 
and his broad shoulders shook with a passion of sobbing to think that just at the moment when a chance of escape was open, just when all the dangers seemed nearly past, the girls should have fallen into the hands of the enemy, and he not there to strike a blow in their defense. To think of Jenny, his bright, fearless Jenny, and clinging little Virginie in the hands of these human tigers, it was maddening. But after a time, the passion of weeping calmed down, and Harry sat up suddenly. I am a fool, he said as he rose to his feet. A nice sort of fellow for a protector, lying here crying like a girl, when I had begun to fancy I was a man, wasting my time here, when I know the only hope for the girls is for me to keep myself free to help them. I need not lose all hope yet. After Marie has been saved, why shouldn't I save Jenny? I am better off than I was then, for we have friends who will help. These women whose hearts Jenny has won will aid if they can, and may get some of their husbands and brothers to aid. The battle is not lost yet, and Jenny will know I shall move heaven and earth to save her. Harry's fit of crying, unmanly as he felt it, had afforded him an immense relief, for he hardly knew himself how great the strain had been upon him of late, and with a more elastic step he strode away into the country, and for hours walked on, revolving plan after plan in his mind for rescuing the girls. Although nothing very plausible had occurred to him, he felt brighter in mind, though weary in body, when, just after nightfall, he again approached the spot where he had the morning received so heavy a blow. He was not disheartened at the difficulty before him, for he knew that he should have some time yet to hilt upon a plan, and the jails were so crowded with the prisoners that he might fairly reckon upon weeks before there was any actual necessity for action. Marthe Pichon was waiting for him. Ah, monsieur, she began, but this is a terrible day. Oh, if I had but known a day or two earlier, they could have moved in time, and now they are in the power of those wolves, but we will try to save them. We have been talking it over. We will all go to the tribunal, and we will take our husbands and our children with us, and we will demand their release. We will not let them be murdered. And now, here are the clothes, but you need not put them on now. There will be a boat here in a few minutes. We have told some of the sailors how they misjudged you, and how they are sorry, now it is too late. Now they would not listen to you when you spoke to them. However, they will do all they can for you. I have sent a message by a boy to my sister to say that I shall be down this evening, so they will be expecting us. Ah, here is the boat. The splash of oars was heard, and the boat rowed along close to the bank. Is that you, Pierre? It is, sure enough, Marie Pichon. Is all all right? Yes, we are both here. In another minute the boat was rowed alongside, and Harry and the woman got on board. There were few words spoken as the two men rowed vigorously downstream. In three quarters of an hour some lights were seen on the opposite bank, and the boat was headed towards them, and soon reached a little causeway. I shall not be more than twenty minutes, Marie Pichon said as she got out. All right, we will wait, was the reply, and mounting the causeway, La Mere Pichon led the way to the farthest cottage, in the little fishing village. A light was burning within, and lifting the latch she entered, followed by Harry. A fisherman and his wife were sitting by the fire. Here, Sister Henriette, and Brother Pierre, Marth said, you have heard from me how a dear angel who lived next door to me has nursed and tendered my little Julie, and blessed of the virgin brought her round for her illness, and those wretches, the Reds, have carried her off today with her sister, and you know what it is to fall into their hands. This is her brother, and I am going to ask you to give him shelter. Let him stay here with you. 
I have bought him a suit of clothes with me, and no one will guess that he is the son of some comrade of yours. He will pay you well for sheltering him till we can put him on board Adolf's lugger and send him across the water. If it had not been for the Reds had come today, I should have brought his sisters with him. I was just starting to arrange it with you when those wretches came and took them away, and it may be that they would pay a hundred crowns to you, and that is not a sum to be earned every day. No, indeed, her sister said briskly. That will buy Pierre a new boat, and a good one, such as he can go out to sea in. Besides, as you say, after what his sister did for Julie, we are bound to help him. What do you say, Pierre? Pierre's face had expressed anything but satisfaction until the money was mentioned, but it then changed entirely. The times were bad. His boat was old and unseaworthy. A hundred crowns was a fortune to him. I have risked my life often, he said, to earn five crowns. Therefore, I do not say no to the offer. Monsieur, I accept. For a hundred crowns, I will run the risk of keeping you here and your sisters too, if they should come, until you can cross the water. Very well, then, Marth Picton said. That's settled. Now I shall be off at once. They will be watching the street for Monsieur, and tomorrow, when they find he has not come back, they will be asking questions. So the sooner I am back, the better. We cannot give you much accommodation, Monsieur, the fisherman said. There is only the loft upstairs, and, for tonight, the sails to sleep on. But we will try to make you more comfortable tomorrow. I care nothing for comfort, Harry answered. So make no change for me. Just treat me as if I were what I shall seem to be, a young fisherman who has come to work with you for a bit. I will row with you and help you with your nets. Your sister has promised to send a boy every day with all the news she can gather. Now, if you have a piece of bread, I will gladly eat it, for I have touched nothing since breakfast. We can do better than that for you, the woman replied, and in a few minutes some fish were frying over the fire. Fortunately, the long hours he had been on his feet had thoroughly tired Harry out and after eating his supper, he at once ascended to the loft, threw himself on the heap of sails, and in a few minutes was sound asleep. The next morning, he dressed himself in the fisherman's clothes with which he had been provided, and went downstairs. You will do, Pierre said, looking at him, but your hands and face are too white. But I was tanning my sails yesterday, and there's some of the stuff left in the boiler. If you rub your hands and face with that, you will do well. Harry took the advice and the effect was to give him the appearance of a lad whose face was bronzed by long exposure to the sea and air. "'You will pass anywhere now,' Pierre said approvingly. "'I shall give out that you belong to St. Nazarie, and are the son of a friend of mine whose fishing boat was lost in the last gale. And so you have come to work for a time with me. No one would ask you any more. Besides, we are all comrades, and hate the Reds, who have spoilt our trade by killing all our best customers.' So if they come asking questions here, they won't get a word out of anyone. For ten days, Harry lived with the fishermen. Adolf had returned to his lugger the day after his arrival there, and came over the next morning to see him. He said that it would be some little time before the lugger sailed again, but that if he was ready to start before she sailed, he would manage to procure him a passage in some other craft. He said that he had already been talking to some of the sailors on the wharfs, and they had promised to go to the tribunal when the girls were brought up before it, and that he would manage to get news from a friend employed in the prison when that would be. Harry frequently went up to a boat in Nantes with Pierre with the fish they had caught. He had no fear of being recognized, and did not hesitate to land, though he seldom went far from the boat. Adolf was generally there, and he and two or three of his comrades, who were in the secret, 
always hailed him as an old acquaintance, so that had any of the spies of the revolutionists been standing there, no suspicion that Harry was other than he seemed would have been entered into their minds. One evening, three weeks after Harry's arrival at the hut, Adolf came in with his head bound up in a bandage. "'What is the matter, Adolf?' Harry exclaimed. "'I have bad news for you, monsieur. I have learned this morning that mademoiselles were today to be brought before the tribunal, and we filled the hall with women and two or three score of sailors. Mademoiselles were brought out. The young one seemed frightened, but the elder was as calm and brave as if she feared nothing.' They were asked their names, and she said, I am Jeannie de Saint-Cau, and this is my sister Virginie. We have committed no crime. Carrier himself was there, and he said, You are charged with being enemies of France, with being here in disguise, and with trying to leave France contrary to the laws against immigration, and with being in company with one who, under false pretenses, obtained admission to the Committee of Safety here, but who is an enemy and traitor to France. What do you say? I do not deny that we are in disguise, she said in a clear voice, nor do I deny that we should have escaped if we could. And as you treat us as enemies, and our lives are in danger, I cannot see that we were to blame in doing so. I deny that we are enemies of France, or that the gentleman who was with us was so either. He did not obtain a place on the committee by fraud, for he really is the secretary of Monsieur Raspierre and he could not refuse the post when it was offered to him. Then we thought it was time to speak, and the woman cried out for mercy, and said how good she had been to the poor. And we cried out too, and then Carrier got into a passion, and said they were traitors and worthy of death, and that they should die. And we shouted we would not have it, and broke into the tribunal and surrounded mademoiselles, and then the guards rushed in, and there was a fight. We beat them off and got outside, and then a regiment came up and they were too strong for us. Though we fought stoutly, I can tell you, for our blood was up, but it was no use. The dear ladies were captured again, and many of us got severe wounds. But the feeling was strong, I can tell you, among the sailors, when the news spread through the town, for some of the women got hurt, too, in the melee. And I think we could get five hundred men together to storm the jail. Harry was bitterly disappointed for he had hoped that the intercession of the women might have availed with the judges, and doubtless would have done so had not Carrier himself been present. However, he thanked the sailor warmly for the efforts he made, and gave him some money to distribute among the wounded, for he always carried half his money concealed in a belt under his clothes. The other half was hidden away under a board in his lodgings, so that in case of his being captured, the girls would still have funds available for their escape. As to the prospects of storming the jail, he did not feel sanguine. It was strongly guarded, and there were three regiments of troops in the town, and these could be brought up before the fishermen could force the strong defenses of the jail. However, as a last recourse, this might be attempted. Two days later, Adolf again returned, and was obliged to confess, in answer to Harry's inquiries, that he feared the sailors as a body would not join the attempt. I can hardly blame them, monsieur, for though I myself would risk everything, and some of the others would do so too. It is a terrible thing for men with wives and families to brave the anger of these monsters. They would think nothing of putting us all to death. It isn't the fighting we're afraid of, though the odds are heavy against us, but it's the vengeance they would take afterwards, whether we happened to win or whether we didn't. 
I cannot blame them, Harry said. As you say, even if they succeeded, there would be a terrible vengeance for it afterwards. No, if the girls are to be rescued, it must be by some other way. I have been quiet so long because I hoped that the intercession of the women would have saved them. As that has failed, I must set to work. I have thought of every method, but bribery seems the only chance. Will you speak to the man you know in the prison, and sound him whether it would be possible to carry out any plan in that way? I will speak to him again, Adolf said, but I have already sounded him, and he said that there were so many guards and jailers that he feared it would be impossible, but I will try again. The next day, soon after dinner, Adolf came again, and there was a white, scared look upon his face which filled Harry with alarm. What is it, Adolf? What is your news? Monsieur, I can hardly tell it, Adolf said in a low, awe-stricken voice. It is too awful, even for these fiends. What is it, Adolf? Tell me. If they have been murdered, I will go straight to Nantes and kill Carrier the first time he leaves his house, though they may tear me to pieces afterwards. They are not murdered yet, Adolf said, but they are to be, and everyone else. And this time the sailor sat down and cried like a child. At last, in answer to Harry's entreaties, he raised his head and told the story. The Revolutionary Committee had that day been down at the wharf, he had taken for the public service four old luggers past service, which were lying on the mud, and they had openly boasted that an end was going to be put to the aristocrats, that the guillotine was too slow, that the prison must be cleared, and that they were going to pack the aristocrats on board the luggers and sink them. Harry gave a cry of horror, in which the fisherman and his wife joined, the later pouring out voluble curses against Carrier and the Reds. At first, his cry was silent. He sank down onto a low chair and sat there with his face hidden in his hands for some minutes. While the fisherman and his wife poured question after question upon Adolf. Presently, Harry rose to his feet and saying to Adolf, Do not go away. I shall be back presently. I must think by myself. Went out bareheaded to the night. It was half an hour before he returned. Now, Adolf, he said, I can think again. Now, how are they to be saved? I cannot say, monsieur, Adolf said hesitantly. It does not seem to me they have to be saved, Harry interrupted him in a grave, steady voice. The question is, how? Yes, monsieur, Adolf agreed hesitantly. That is the question. You can rely upon me, monsieur, he went on, to do my best, whatever you may decide. But I have no head to invent things. You tell me, and I will do it. I know I can rely upon you, Adolf. As far as I can see, there are but two ways. One is for me to go to Carrier's house, find the monster, place a pistol to his head, compel him to order them to be released, stand with him at the prison door till they come out, embark with him and then in a boat, row down the river and put to sea. And then Monsieur Adolf asked for a pause, seeing that Harry was speaking to himself rather than to him. Yes, that is the question that I cannot answer, Harry replied. I can see all the rest of it as if it were passing. I can feel Carrier trembling in my grasp and shrinking as the pistol touches his forehead. I can hear him giving his orders. I can see the crowd falling back as I walk with him through the street. I can hear him crying to the people to stand aside and let us pass. I can see us going down the river together. But what am I to do in a boat with two ladies at sea? 
could you not embark in a lugger adolph exclaimed carried away by the picture which harry seemed to be describing as if he saw it why not start in a lugger at once i might have the troy frayee ready and the men will all stand by you and when we are once outside the river we will throw carrier over to the fishes and make for england thank you adolph if the other plans seem impossible we will try that but only as a last recourse for i know the chances are a hundred to one against its success i should have no fear as to carrier himself but as i went through the streets someone else might place a musket at the back of my head and shoot me if i could get him alone it would be different you could go with me i would force him to sign the order of release you could take it and i would stand over him till you had time to embark with them then i would blow out his brains and make my way to the river but there would be no chance of finding him alone monsters like this are always fearful of assassination and what is monsieur's other plan the other plan is to get on board the boat in which they are to be placed you might find out which it is from your friend in prison hide down in the hold until the guards leave her then join them and when she sinks fasten them to a spar and drift down the river with them till out of sight of the town when pierre could row off and pick them up they say there are to be soldiers on each side of the river adolph said despondently to shoot down any who may try to swim to shore but there would not be many who would try most of them they say will be women and children but the heads will be seen as you drifted down yes but we must think of something adolph think man think and you pierre think if you were in a sinking ship and you wanted something which would hide you from the eyes of people a hundred yards away what would you take but you would be seen on anything you climbed on or clung to monsieur but we need not climb on to it harry said i can take pieces of cork with me and wrap round so as to keep their face just afloat i should only want something that would hide their faces a hatch might do pierre said the very thing harry exclaimed with a fresh ring of animation and hopefulness in his voice the very thing of course there would be a hatchway to the forecastle of the lugger we might get that loosened beforehand so that it would float off what is the size of such a hatch some four feet square monsieur that will be enough harry said but how high would a hatch float out of water because there must be room between the top of the water for us to breathe as we lie on our backs four inches would be enough are the sides buoyant enough to keep the top that much out of the water i do not think so monsieur pierre said with a shake of his head it would float nearly level with the water but see here monsieur adolph said eagerly i have an idea the hatches are covered with tarpaulin if you could hide in the forecastle during the night you might cut away all the top underneath the tarpaulin and prop it up so that if any one trod on it in the morning they would not notice what had been done then when they have pushed off you can knock away the props the board would tumble down and there would be only tarpaulin cover on the sides it would float then quite four inches out of the water and that in the middle of the stream would look almost level with it i will try it harry said there is a chance of success it is a terrible risk monsieur pierre said i know harry replied but it's just possible the chances are a hundred to one against it but it may succeed well pierre do you be with your boat on the river just below the point where the town can be seen if you see a hatch floating down row to it if we are beneath it well and good if not if not monsieur the fisherman's wife said solemnly we will pray for your souls 
Adolf will send down to you in the morning the two fisher girls' dresses his wife had prepared for the ladies. Have some brandy in the boat and your little charcoal stove and keep water boiling. They will want it. And now goodbye, my friends. Pray for us tonight. Now, Adolf, let us hasten back to the town, for there is much to be done. And first of all, you must see your friend in the prison. Find out if the mademoiselles are on the list of those to be murdered. I have no doubt they will be, for after the amulet there has been about them, they are almost sure to be among the first victims. But above all, find out, if you can, which vessel they are to be placed in. But if I cannot find that out, monsieur, if there is no arrangement made at all, though I should think there would be, for the butchers would like to have everything done in order, then I will get you to find a dozen men you can trust to volunteer to row the boats to put them on board, and you must be sure to take the boat in which they are the lugger will have prepared. I will try, Adolf said, though I would rather cut off my hand than pull an oar to take those poor creatures out to be murdered. But I will do it, monsieur. But except for that I warrant me, they will not get a sailor in Nantes to put his hand to an oar to aid their cursed work. It was four o'clock when they arrived at Nantes. Adolf went straight to the prison, while Harry walked along the quay. When he came abreast the center of the town, a number of sailors and fishermen were standing, talking in low tones, and looking with horror at four luggers moored in a line in the center of the river. A number of men drawn from the scum of the town were painting them white, while a strong body of troops were drawn up on the quay in readiness to put a summary stop to any demonstration of hostility on the part of the sailors. These did not indeed venture to express openly their detestation of the proceedings, but the muttered exhortations and curses that rose from the little group showed how deep were their feelings. Harry joined a little knot of three or four men who had been with Adolf, in the habit of greeting him as he landed. All is lost, you see, one of them said in a tone of deep commiseration. There is nothing left but vengeance. We will take that one of these days, but that is poor consolation for you now. All is not quite lost, Harry said. I have yet one hope. We dare not try to force, one of the other men said. They have marched three more regiments of Reds in today. What can we do against them without arms? I could cry to think that we are so helpless in the face of these things. No, I know force is useless, Harry said. Still, I have just one hope left. It is my desperate one, and I cannot tell you what it is now. But tonight, maybe, Adolf may ask you to help us. I expect him here soon. In half an hour, Adolf returned, and Harry at once joined him. I have got the news I wanted, he said. Mademoiselles are to be in the first batch brought out. Boats have already been brought by the Reds to row them out, and men hired. They were forced to buy the boats, for not a man would let his craft for such a purpose. It would be accursed ever afterwards. No sailor would ever put a foot on board. The first boats would go to the ship lying lowest in the stream. Then they would come back and take the next batch out to the vessel next above. And so until all are on board. There will be fifty placed on board each lugger. And I hear, monsieur, that it is only the first of it, and that the drownings will go on until the prisons are cleared. Thank God we know that much, Adolf. Now, in the first place... I want you to get me some tools, a sharp saw, a chisel, a large screwdriver, and a half dozen large screws. Also, two beams of wood to fasten across the hatchway and keep the boards up after I have sawed through them. Also, I want three bundles of cork. Flat pieces will be the best if you can get them, but it doesn't matter much. I may as well have 
an auger too. When you get back to your house, will you go in next door and ask our landlady, Mare Leflo, she died three days ago, the man said. Then go into the house without asking, and in the farthest corner to the right-hand side of the kitchen, scratch away the earth, and you will find a little bag of money. If I fail tomorrow, keep it for yourself. If I succeed, bring it to me at Pierre's. When does your lugger sail for England? In three days, monsieur. I have already sounded the captain, and I think he will take you. And what shall I do next? At nine o'clock this evening, have a boat with the things on board half a mile below the town. Give a low whistle, and I will answer it. Wrap some flannel round the rowlocks to muffle the sound. It will be a dark night, and there's a mist rising already from the river. I do not think there is much chance of our meeting any boats near those vessels. No, indeed, Adolf agreed. It makes me shiver to look at them. There will be no boat on the river tonight except ours. Will you not come with me, monsieur, until it is time to start? You will need supper, for you must keep up your strength. Harry accepted the sailor's invitation, and after partaking of a meal with Adolf and his wife, who was informed of the attempt which was about to be made, he sat looking quietly into the fire, arranging in his mind all the details of the enterprise, uttering many a silent but fervent prayer that he might be permitted to save the lives of the two girls. Adolf went in and out, making his preparations. At half-past eight, he said, touching Harry on the shoulder, "'It is time to start, monsieur. "'I have got the bag of money. "'Everything is in the boat, and I saw the men start with it. "'It is time for us to go and meet them.' Marth burst into tears as she said goodbye to Harry. "'I shall spend all night on my knees,' she said, "'praying God and the Holy Virgin to aid you and save those dear angels. "'Here is a packet, monsieur, with some food for you to eat in the morning.' and a bottle of good wine. You will want strength for your adventure. Three or four minutes after Harry and Adolf had gained the appointed spot, they heard a low whistle on the water. Adolf whistled in return, and in another minute a dark object appeared through the mist. They took their places in the stern, and the boat rowed quietly off again. So well were the oars muffled that Harry could hear no sound save an almost imperceptible splash each time they dipped into the water. The town was very still, and scarce a sound was heard. The awe of a horrible event which was about to take place hung over the town, and although there was drinking and exultations among the ruffians in the back lanes, even these instinctively avoided the neighborhood of the river. So thick was the fog that they were some little time before they found the white luggers. When they did so, they rode to the moored, lowest down the stream, and made fast alongside. Noiselessly the tools and beams were handed on board, then Harry said, That is all, Adolf. Not at all, monsieur. We are not going to leave you until the work is done. We have settled that four sets of hands can work better than one, and besides, we may hit on some idea no one can say. Finding it useless to remonstrate, Harry let the good fellows have their way. The men had already removed their boots and noiselessly made their way to the hatch of the forecastle. Ah, it is just as well I brought a file with me, Adolf said in a low voice as he knelt down and felt the hatch. It is fastened down with a staple and padlock. They are old, but you might have some trouble breaking them. But let us see first. No, it moves. Now a wrench altogether. As he spoke, the staple came up through the rotten wood of the deck. The hatch was then lifted. Lower it down the cornerways into the forecastle, Adolf said. We can work all the better at there. Jacques, do you get that sail up out of the boat and throw it over the hatch? It isn't likely anyone will come out here through the fog. 
but it's just as well not to run any risk. As soon as all were below, and the sail spread over the opening above, Adolf produced a dark lantern from the great pocket of the fisherman's cloak, together with two or three candles. These were all lit at the lantern, and the party then set to work. Two saws had been brought on board, and a piece three feet square was cut out on top of the hatch, leaving six inches of wood all round. Great pains were taken not to saw through the tarpon cover. Now the next thing to do, Harry said, is to fix the beams so as to hold the wood in its place again. Four pieces of wood, each three inches long, were screwed against it, combining of the hatchway in such a position that when the beams were placed upon them, they were exactly level with the top and supported the piece cut out from the hatchway in its original position. That will do rarely, Adolf said. When it was finished and the hatchway experimentally placed in its position, now all you have to do is just to knock the ends of the beams off their ledges. The bit will have cut out, will fall down, and you will be able easily enough to lift the hatchway from its place. It is of no great weight now. It will do capitally, Harry agreed, and when it floats, the tarpaulin will certainly be three inches above the water. Yes, I have no fear of that part of the adventure going wrong. You don't think that it will be noticed from the shore, Adolf? Not it, Adolf answered confidently. Why, from the shore it will look awash with the water. No one will even dream that there could be a soul alive underneath it. I begin to think you will do it, monsieur. At first it seemed hopeless. Now I really think there is a chance. I should feel pretty confident if it was you and the two of us who had to do it, but the difficulty will be to get the young ladies under it, and then to get them to lie quiet there. That is the difficulty, Harry admitted. I am sure of the eldest. Her nerves are as good as mine. What I fear is about the younger. I'll tell you what, monsieur, one of the other men said. If you take my advice, you will have a piece of rope in readiness and tie it round her arm so as to prevent her struggling. That would be the best way, Harry agreed. Yes, if I see she won't be calm and do as I tell her, that is what I will do. Now, monsieur, I will bore a couple of auger holes through the bulkhead here, so that you can see what's going on in the hold. They have got the hatch off there. I suppose it wasn't padlocked, and they will no doubt go down to bore holes the last thing. Like enough, they have bored them already, and will only have to knock out the plugs. I will just go and see anyhow. If that is so, you may set your mind at rest that none of them will come down here in the morning. So saying, taking the dark lantern, he climbed up on deck and descended the hold. That's it, he said when he returned. There are six holes bored with plugs in them, so they won't be coming down here. When we go up, we will put the staple into the hole again, so that it will look all right. Now, monsieur, we will have one nip of brandy apiece out of this bottle, and then we will be off. It's just gone midnight, and it were best we should leave you to sleep for a few hours. You will want your strength in the morning, unless, of course, you would rather we stopped with you for a bit. No, thank you, Adolf. I don't think I shall sleep. I shall sit and think out every detail. Then good night, monsieur. May the good God bless you and your aid tomorrow, and I think he will. I do not think you are the bravest man I ever met. I am not brave for myself, Adolf said, but for them. The three men shook hands with Harry, and one after another in husky voices gave him their good wishes. Then they ascended to the deck, put on the hatch, pressed the staple down through its holes in the deck, got into the boat, cast off the head rope, and got out the oars. Mon Dieu, what courage, one of them explained. His hand is as steady and his voice is as firm 
as if he were going fishing tomorrow. I think you will succeed, Adolf said. Anyhow, we will have our boat out below the bend of the river and lend a hand to Pierre to get them out. End of chapter 13 Recorded by Ryan Cherry